They say a family that prays together stays together. But what if you can't even get your family together? We are the Sisters Collective. Three generations. Four sisters. Helping you navigate this crazy world. One family meeting at a time. This podcast is the intersection of education, sisterhood, and the ever-changing dynamics of family. We invite you to pull up a seat and join our family meeting. All right, guys, we are back. Well, hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy Wednesday. You were the happy. <laughs> I know, right? Pump, pump, pump it out. Um, this is Jasmine. This is Amanda. This is Elizabeth. And this is Jan. And we are back for another episode. Yes, we Let's are. do this. Episode 20. Episode 20. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You guys have learned so much about us in these first 19 episodes. So, on this 20th episode, we are going to dig a little deeper. Like, yep. we want to really, you know, bring another layer to your understanding of us and, of course, our understanding of each other. Right. So, so yeah, let's let's dive into this episode of getting to know each other a little bit more. So, we're going to play a game of 20 questions. 20 questions. Yeah, but I found a, um, when you start thinking about getting to know people and um, a couple of ways you can get to know people, one is by spending time with them mm-hmm. and seeing how they kind of flow, how they move, how they think. Another way is by asking questions. So, um, I found a quote by Timothy J. Keller that says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Okay. Yeah. All right. To be fully known and fully loved is our greatest desire. That's what mm. it says. Yeah. You agree with that? I do. Yes. I yeah. do. And I feel like oftentimes we feel misunderstood mm-hmm. by the people closest to us. Mm-hmm. And that can be very frustrating. Yeah. So let's do this. I'm ready to let's dive into it. So I found this some questions. It's over 200 questions. Literally, there are two right at 200. So, I want you to, we'll, whoever wants to start first, you just call out a number, 1 to 200, mm. and I'm just going to go <laughs> and find that number, and then we'll... we'll 100. You. You'll start? 101. Oh, okay. 101. Okay, let's go to... Little mama. Oh, as my. always, as always... You hear little mama have, Cita down there. We have already in the building. Um, okay, 101. If you could take us anywhere in the world right now, where would you take us? I would take you to the place that has kind of opened up my soul the most, and that would be um, to Whidbey Island. Mm, I I would love for my family to um, vacation on Whidbey Island for us to get um, up in the cabin, to really stay in the spaces where I've stayed, and to feel what I felt, and to experience that, um, what they call radical hospitality. they literally, um, uh, the place is on Whidbey Island, um, and I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now. It's called Hedgebrook, and yes. it's a place that um, nurtures women writers, um, and it's called um, um, Women Authoring Change. That's what the, one of their slogans. And they have these country houses and 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 cabins, and um, like literally, they attend to every single detail, anything you could think of. They've already prepared it, um, but just the 
openness of the space and the trees and the birds that serenade you and deer running around and rabbits and apple mm. orchards right in your front yard and vegetable gardens um, right there around you and literally what you're eating that night was picked out of the garden. Um, so I just think that space, I would want, I would want to take my family there. That's beautiful. Yes. Where is Woody Island? What state? It's, um, this, Seattle? it's actually, it's the island, but it's up, an hour up from Seattle. Okay. An oh, hour north of Seattle. Okay. Oh, yeah, nice. I, I remember seeing the pictures. Me too. Like, yeah, yeah, you've got to come. Oh gosh, I really want to go. That was really the really application really opened this year, and I'm going to go again. Oh, so you have to apply. You, you, well, you, you, you not really apply. You have to pay to go. Um, um, so I'm going to go again this year. I have applied in the past two years for a scholarship, but I think this year I won't apply for the scholarship. I'll leave that for somebody else that has not gone, mm. and I'll just pay. Yeah. Um, and that means that you really felt transformed, that you mm -hmm. really felt something there. That's amazing. That's amazing. Anybody right. else want to answer? Anybody else? Or are we just going to move right along? Anybody? Yeah, Anyone like else? That. What was that question again? Say it again. Say uh, else. It's, if you could take us anywhere in the world right now, where would you take us? Yeah, I would take you there. Yeah. I'll take you there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to question 50. Question 50. All right. Ooh. How would you describe your best friend? Mm. That's interesting. That's my best friend. That's my best friend. Go best friend. That's my best friend. <laughs> I, I would describe my best friend as someone who's going to call me out on, you know, things that are not right. No, not. We, we literally want you to describe your best friend. Your best friend. Whoever Who your, your best, best friend, friend is. Oh, that's what I'm describing. Describe them. Oh, okay. I'm describing how they are to me. Oh, okay. You said that's, I would want them to be. No, no. I'm, I'm saying they that they, they, they I said that they do call oh, me okay, out. Oh, okay, then. Okay. Um, they're very supportive. Um, they want to know more about me. What what hurts? Mm. You know what? Um, what am I going through? If we go through days or weeks without talking, when we do talk, it's okay. Let's catch up. Who's what's going on with you? I'm Terry. I figured that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what's going on with you? Um, but also, not she's not going to allow me. To act like things don't exist. Like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and she's gonna call me out on my my wrongness. Um, but if I needed her for something, I can call her, and she would be right there to, right there to support. And so even when we've gone through transitions, um, in our life, um, both of us, it's still as if you come back, mm -hmm. like those things didn't happen. It's like you start, you get, you you're able to start all over again. Yeah. Um, and so, that's how like I, think a, I think a best friend is someone that has to not be impressed by you. Mm. Yes. They, yes. They that's know, good. That's good. They, they value all the good that there is that, that makes up the best of you, um, but they're not impressed by you, um, but can be the biggest supporter, but they're still not impressed by you. And even in fully knowing you, knowing all there is to know about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they still love you. Yes. 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 That's yes. important. Because if, yes. if knowing something about me can diminish um, your care for me, or um, diminish how you see me, or if in my if, if in you seeing my humanity, it allows you to diminish the value of the divine part of me, then that that kind of is telling to me. So yeah, uh, they but have I, to not be so impressed by you, uh, uh, aware of the goodness that you possess, 
but not so enamored by it. They become your biggest fangirl, but not able to critique you. Right. Not able to see your right, blind right, spots. Right. Because if you're enamored by me, you won't see my blind spots. Or you'll see them, but you won't say anything about it because you're too afraid of what will happen if you stop fangirling. I don't need a fangirl. Oh, I need wow. honesty. Yeah. Wow. That is good. And I think that's I think it's also I think what's important about our friendship is that you're always being pushed to do more. Mm-hmm. And not just settling with, okay, well, I have this job, you know, I have this degree or whatever. It's always no, there's more for you to do. There's more work to be done. Um and so that's what I'm always appreciative yeah. um for the push. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I do like that. I have to say that I agree um, about your having a best friend that way. And Taylor's so sweet. I really like her. Yeah. Number seven. Seven. Lucky right. number seven. Number seven. What was the worst phase in your life? For for context, it, while she when was, was in, in was it high school? When I was mm-hmm. in ninth grade at Antwoord High School, um, I wore this wool sweater jacket every single day. Um, it looked like a little bit of a lumberjack. Yeah, I was just, about to say that yeah, it was a lumberjack. Um, the reason I'm not gonna say that was like my worst phase, but um, just any phase when I was trying to figure out who I was, and I think you're still discovering yourself every you know mm-hmm. every year, every day. Um, but I. I just felt like ashamed. I didn't feel pretty. Um, so I'm glad Jen was like, come on, girl, let me get your hair done. What will a hairdo do for you? <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell I walked into school with my hair here. I was like, yes, y'all see me? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it'll take a minute to maintain that. And anyway, I got time for that. But anyway, um, so just that transition. But I think. And I guess I would have to classify that because after that, um, I didn't really have to question, you know, who I was or I didn't have to question because doing that ninth grade period, you know, coming out of middle school, trying to please everybody, um, you're really so trying to discover it. Like going to college and all that stuff was, was fine. But I think that was like a pivotal moment because I didn't, I didn't love myself. I didn't know who I was, um, so, and then having my sister like tell me that I was pretty, she was like, but you had a look a mess, so go ahead. And then how that made me feel to like take want to take care of myself. Right. But you know, yeah. when we started going to get our hair done, I can I know one reason why I get my hair done to this day because I can remember when I was in high school and we got a relaxer and I couldn't get the relaxer, the you know how often you're supposed to get it. Right, right. So my hair fell out in the back. Oh. And literally, if you see pictures of us, we always had beautiful hair. Yeah. And my hair fell out. And that was probably one of the worst times in my life to have hair that's like oddly shaped and And patches out. So when I got a job, the first thing I did is found me a stylist. And so that's something that has stuck with me that I'm going to get my hair done because I never want to go through that phase of having patches out of your hair 
it ends are just a mess. Yes, yes. And so that's why I'm like, no, you're going to get your hair done because to me, it changes everything. I, my clothes could look raggedy. <laughs> but my hair. We've <laughs> talked about this before. Well, a, lot, a big part of a black woman's identity is found in, a lot of that is found in how what we do to our hair. Yeah. But through your tragedy, it made it, made it my triumph. Like you, I don't know if you thought about that. I never thought about that. I don't think I even knew that story. Mm -hmm. I thought, I started thinking about why are you so, like, I always want to see women with their hair done. I don't care if it's natural, what I just want your hair done. And I'm like, why are you so worried about everybody else's hair? Because I know mine is going to be right. But I want everybody else's hair done. And I'm like, why? Because, and I started going back to when my hair literally, I had patches. Like, and I, that was like a worst, the worst time for me because I'm like, my hair looks a mess. And there's nothing I can do about it because I don't have a job. We can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when I got a job, that yeah. was important to me. So I'm like, okay, so now I understand why I'm the way I am about all women's hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mine was probably ninth grade also. It was, I at the time, I think in ninth grade, I probably had a jerry curl. Um, yes. And I had cystic acne. Mm -hmm. So I didn't just have acne. My the, the acne would turn into sores on my face. So it was pretty bad. And then we changed high schools. I was at West Orange where we had where our friends were and, and then we moved to another high school, to Jones High School. And um, to the credit, while it was a good school, um, we didn't know people and everybody there kind of knew each other. They kind of have grown up around each other. Um, so I was a, a bit alone and felt a little self-conscious. Mm. And so, yeah, growing up, we didn't really know we were poor because both of our parents worked at Disney. So they, you know, we were always at Disney. We went out to restaurants quite often. We didn't know um, anything about poverty. Everyone around us kind of lived the same way. But it became kind of glaringly obvious with each transition that we made that we were a little bit lower on the totem pole than people that were around us seemingly. And so I think ninth grade for me was really kind of, kind of uh, pivotal because I really had to deal with some of the self-consciousness and had to come to terms with what was good about me despite what I looked like and how uh, my appearance and all the kind of stuff. So that was probably one of the roughest, one of the roughest, roughest seasons for me was in ninth grade. Yeah. You just want to talk? You want to talk? She wants to say she hello. Like, She's being very vocal, so we're going to give her a little bit of airtime. Yeah? You saying hi to the people? Say hi. Hi. All right. Hi. <laughs> Jasmine, what was yours? What, what number are you going to choose? No, did you have the, the worst, worst moment? The worst oh. moment? Honestly, for me, when I was thinking about this as we were talking, for me, um, my one of my worst moments was probably when Jamila passed. Mm -hmm. Because that, I think a lot was going on around that time, mm -hmm. so that really opened my eyes to like, all of the fractures within myself that mm -hmm. I needed to fix. And so, because we all, like, we've talked about this before, but, like, Jamila was, she had a different relationship with each and every one of us. Yes, you agree? Mm -hmm. um, so, so when she passed, it was just like, oh, like, I have a lot more work. And I, like, I lost a lot of weight after mm -hmm. she passed. And that opened up a whole nother avenue that I realized, like, I wasn't eating like I should have been eating or I wasn't doing enough for myself. And so I think that was one of the one of the worst moments for me. 
just it was a window basically mm-hmm. to let me like open up and see like where I need to to work on myself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Alrighty. Um. What's your number? Let's go. I'm thirty, so let's go thirty. Do you believe in second chances? Ooh. Um, ooh. I think it depends on, uh, yes, I do. Um, but what's the saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, or whatever yeah. it is. Um, so I believe in second chances, but you won't get a third. Um, like if something else happens, like that, that'll be that'll be. Bad. And when it comes to like, that's in relationships with you know with somebody with a significant other. But when it comes to friendship, I try to give a little bit more grace for friends. But even even in that, I have I've realized like there's been friends that I've given chance after chance after chance for whatever reason, and it's still it's like they just have not. <laughs> they just have not um, taken heed to the fact that I've given them all these chances. She is girl. really talking today. <laughs> hey, Arden girl. So first of all, she's like so sleepy. She's yawning her butt off, but she's, she's also teething and she's also fighting her sleep. So she is just making all the noise to keep herself awake. Um. So, but yes, I realize like I do believe in second chances, but when it comes to friendships, that's where I'm like, I have to not give so many chances because I give even more chances when it comes to friends. I believe in second chances because I've been given second chances. But I also understand that with giving someone a second chance, um, that doesn't mean that the second chance, you have to have the same access to me. Ooh, that Um, one. I'll give you a second chance because in your humanity, you know, people do dumb things. I've had dumb days, dumb months, dumb years. So I've had to have several chances, not just a second, another and another and another. So I believe in second chances, but I don't believe I, I owe you the same access the second chance, the second time, the third time, or, or any other time. Um, especially if it doesn't appear that you've um, learned from the second chance that you've been given, because that's, that's your responsibility to grow from that, um, from me giving you an opportunity to kind of renew that, that relationship. Is your, is your responsibility to grow from that and to not keep making that same mistake. Because if you keep doing the same, keep wounding me in the same space every single time, that means that's intentional. That wasn't like a mistake. Um, that's a part, that's a character flaw you have that causes you to want to keep injuring me in the same particular space. But then it would be dumb on my part to keep giving you access so that you can injure me over and over again the same way. So second chance is sure. Same access, not necessarily. Hmm. It made me think of what it says in the Bible about um, how many times you get your brother or turn to the other cheek about seven times, 77. So my, so Shia was doing multiplication. He was like, does that mean that I'm supposed to forgive someone? Whatever the multiplication number is. And um, it was actually between them. They were, my two sons were very frustrated at one another um, because it was something that one of them had did. And they said, like, but you keep doing the same thing. And I said, have you told that person how that made you feel? Like, Shia, did you tell Amari that when he does this, this is what, how it makes you feel? Um, he was like, I did. I said, well, let's try it again. And so they talked about it. And since then, I don't think that exact same thing has happened. But um, I do believe in second chances. But I also think that it's important to really express to the person 
um, what they did and how it hurt you mm -hmm. um, so that they are less likely to make those same mistakes. In the same in, space, right. the same area, um, yeah. Because I know, I'm like, God has definitely given me grace. Right, um, yes. So I definitely know that I'm probably so undeserving, but, um, and I want to be able to, to show grace to other people. I mean, I believe that I, that I do, um, but I do know that it's even more important for me to make sure that they know how they hurt me. Communication is key. Communicating right. what the what the offense was right. is important. And, Otherwise, and because if no, if I've they seen. don't know how they hurt you, mm -hmm. how can they correct it? Exactly. Right. Or where the misunderstanding right. came from, how can they correct it? Right. If you don't um, give them a so just chance. just like kind of getting over it, like somebody offends you and you just kind of brush past it, and then just you haven't solved anything by doing that because no. they don't even know that they offended you. Yeah, and you mad for no, you're mad and they don't even know and therefore right. they're more likely to do it again. They're more than most likely um, they're going to because they don't even know they've done it to begin with. Exactly. So, or, you know, or I just think about, and I would say that for my friendship, when you, when you think about your kids, you're like, how many times do I have to tell you to put your shoes in the closet? Like, what do I do? How many times when you wake up in the morning, just make your bed? Um, but I know that you're creating routines and things like that and for stuff like that, I'm not, I do sometimes get frustrated because I'm told you one too many times, but I'm less likely to be upset about it. One, because they're still growing they're and they're kids. learning. Um, but for adults, I'm just like, I need you to know. And I even tell my kids, when you did this, it made me feel um, like you weren't listening because right. X, Y, and Z. And then they're just like, oh, but I was listening. Now, what I do tend to do with my kids sometimes, I might get them three tasks. Go put your shoes in the closet, go brush your teeth, and whatever. Something not gonna get done. Like work of test not gonna get done. So I just learned to um to give a little more grace and I do believe in second chance. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Who's next gonna, question? Who's the next number? Have we all picked a number? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, start over. Pick another number. Oh, I started. Okay then. <laughs> um let's go with forty five. <laughs> Since I am number forty five. Forty five. Uh forty five. What's been your biggest mistake so far in life, and what did you learn from it? Jeez. Hmm. Y'all wanted to dig deep. Right? <laughs> <sighs> That's not just for me. Anybody can ask me. I'm just giving out, the, giving out the number. Anybody can ask me. We're all like, him and him. just thinking. So all right. Biggest mistake. And what did I learn from it? Mm. Yes. Um... It's a, it's a, I don't think that's one answer. I think there are lots of different, there's no one biggest. I've made maybe big mistakes several times in different areas. I think one big mistake is not, um, not trusting my voice early enough, mm. waiting too long to step into my own. Um, I robbed myself of opportunities to, to flourish, but I also understand that I haven't lost anything because mm -hmm, right. I still, as long as you're breathing, there is there is an opportunity to, to do what needs to be done. So that I kind of think about that uh, when in retrospective moments. I think about that, the moments and the years that I spent mistrusting my own, the, the power of my own voice and uh, the, the strength that I actually possess, um, allowing life to kind of speak for me uh, in ways that were not true and valid. Um, other things, big mistakes is not, um, spending enough time with family in seasons, um, and not doing what we're doing now sooner. Mm -hmm. But then again, I, I can't 
because we're doing it now. So although right. there, there, there are big moments of what I feel like are mistakes, um, the redemptive nature of God, I don't miss out on anything. Even right. in my mistakes, I get to make, I get to recover from that. So it's hard for me to say. There are some other big mistakes, big mistakes. Who else has a big I don't know. Mistake? I'm really trying to think of some, but I don't really look at like regrets or mistakes. Right. I definitely look at them as opportunities to grow, that some things that I have learned. Um, so tell us what your big mistake was and what you I learned from it. I, Jen, you going to try to I don't think I have any. I'm trying to think. Um, trying really like not, I don't want I don't want to, to think superficial. Right, that's like me either. Um, oh, I know, right? Yeah, put the Jeopardy music in here. Um, I mean, I have some really um, things that I have done, but I'm not going to share that live. But uh, and I've learned from them. Huh? What were you going to say? We can cut this part out. What were you going to say? Obviously, the abortion. But you have shared that with society before. All right, but I don't mean. But not in that context. Not like straight out like that. Oh, because it was in the poem. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but even that, I honestly, in in some ways, I still don't regret that because the trajectory of my life would have been completely, completely different. different. Um, and and while I know, um, while I know, in one instance, life isn't ours to take. Mm-hmm. I still know that I did what I had to do. Yeah. And I don't hold that. I don't hold. I don't hold my hold that against me anymore. Right. right. So. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I would say um, I definitely don't think that this is something that I regret at all. Um, I learned so much um, from my life, um, but I've been married to a woman for 10 years, and that's definitely not a regret. We have two amazing kids, but um, just the transition of like starting um, being in the lesbian lifestyle I w- felt so um, like natural to me. I never really, I think guys are cute, um, but it wasn't really something that was like on my heart or something that I desired. So, and now being in something that I'm transitioning out of, it is, um, I would have to say it's so hard because you, like it's, it's just hard um, to crucify your flesh every day. But anyway, um, I would have to say that decide making that decision, it, it, it never really felt like a decision. It just felt like a natural attraction. Um, but and now that's not what you want. No, right. Um, so I would have to say that knowing how hard it is to transition out of it, it just seems like it would have been easier to never um, start it. Mm-hmm. Um, to give in to that. Um, but I still don't regret any of the moments um, or the life. Um, but I am grateful for. Um, just God's grace and to be able to come out of something that felt like it was such a strong stronghold. Mm. Oh, wow. Let's go to question number 10. Oh, you're not going to say nothing? (laughs) We're going to question number 10. I'm going to ask you, no, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you regret having been married? No. Do you regret getting a divorce? No. What did you learn from it? Um... I guess I, I I learned from it that I, you can wait until you know that it's right because at that moment you think it's right, yeah. but then as you grow and you realize, okay, maybe we weren't on the same page mm. in the beginning, 
And so, or maybe we were on the same page, but you grow at different stages, different levels. And so I don't regret it. I don't regret the marriage, don't regret the divorce. Um, would I get married again? Of course. But I'll have to make sure that it's right. Hmm. Okay. Question right. number 10. <laughs> you said number 10? Yes. Okay, number 10. What's your favorite book or movie of all time, and why Why did it speak to you so much? Oh. No, so we all meet you That's a mess. I love The Lion King. I, do I too. mean, yes, that new rendition uh, that they made, but The Lion King for me, and now being able to share with my kids is amazing. Um, I think that it spoke to me because it just showed the true landscape of the whole world of like how people are relationships um how you can triumph you can overcome i literally was in middle school and watched lion king every single day on vhs before i went to middle school i would rewind to all the songs um and so when we watched the live action movie with my kids um it just really reminded me and i i thought i was gonna say like an adult movie or something but um, like coming to America, but no, Lion King for me was that movie. Like it was, it just it spoke to me, and how people really are, and how you can overcome, and how family is so important, and how even if you go away, um, your family is still going to be there, and how there is a purpose and a destiny for you, and you just got to step up, and yeah, you gotta do it. Mm-hmm. My you, my favorite movie is Star Wars. I knew that. You <laughs> <laughs> walk. Um. It's all like I fell in love with that movie when I was in like kindergarten. So my my teacher, she was one of the first teachers that I remember. She literally she had one arm. Um, like I remember physically how she looked. She was a skinny, like maybe in her late twenties, white lady. She was amazing. She gave us like, you know, those what's that cucumbers with the with the celery the cel- <laughs> not cucumbers celery with the Rain- peanut butter and raisins. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Ants on a log. Ants on a log like. That's how much I remember. But that just remind it's nostalgia for me. Um, mm-hmm. That movie, like now as an adult, it's nostalgia. But um, I just love, I'm a sci-fi kind of person. So mm-hmm. I love all the elements that Star Wars brings. I'm not Star Trek. I'm definitely Star Wars. The difference. <laughs> um, very much so. Very much so. Um, so Star Wars just <laughs> brings a whole level, like all the different characters the, even the story of it, you have Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, like that, they're, that's father and their and his children. Yes. And he was so disconnected from them, but in the end, he finally was like, I'm your father. Right. And, and like, I love you no matter what. Like, even though these, this path that I've chosen is so outside of what you are and who you are as a person, you come for me. Yeah. And so, um, I just love that. And I love all the characters. Like, Liz used to call me an Ewok, which is yes. one of the characters. Because she looks like baby. one. It's so cute. Um, so, yeah, that was Star Wars is me. Now they have a whole nother They have a whole nother thing with it called The Mandalorian, and I'm like so caught up. Anyways. Right. <laughs> so, you know, Lion King is one of my favorites, but you know, another favorite of mine is Fast and Furious. And yeah. I love Fast and Furious. For one, I look at how it started off, and um, it's about family about friends. I mean, even though, yes, they're getting cars, but (laughs) they're they're stealing cars. But it's not about the stealing cars. It's about what you have to do as a family 
to get something accomplished. Mm-hmm. If you mess with my family, I'm coming for you. Oh, yeah. And, and that's who you are. And, yes, and, yes. That's, and, 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 and that's what it's all about. Don't mess with my family. Mm-hmm. And I love the, I do love the fastness of the cars, but it's the story behind it and that I'll do anything for my family to make sure my family's okay. So that's one of my favorites. My favorite is the color purple. Mm, um, for lots of reasons. I'm, I am very much into history and into um, culture and, and our history and our culture specifically. And I think the color purple talks about an aspect of the African-American experience that many of us don't want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, the ownership um, that patriarchy has over the female body. Um, and how she was a child Mm -hmm. that was a grown man and how this was so, um, how that wouldn't be something that would be socially acceptable now. Um, but how life was back then and how we, we literally carried families and it just talks about the triumph of the female spirit. It talks about, um, uh, just how we're loved. Um, the relationship between, um, Seely and Suge Avery um, the complexities that that dealt with um, the relationships between between Sophia and Harpo, um, the, the the woundedness that was that kind of the enabling that that took place there, mm-hmm. the way he nurtured, um, uh, the way he didn't really raise his son, right, um, and that helped him to become kind of the pushover that connected to Sophia. She was such a brute, but a lot of that was because of how she was raised. Mm-hmm. So how dysfunction and dysfunction, uh, how we kind of get together with uh, our dysfunctions kind of get together. He was weak and needed the strength that Sophia had. She was strong, but relied on his weakness in order for them to be something. So I, it, it, I like that movie because of the different relationships that it allows me to see. Yeah. But I think it's because I examine relationships. Right, um, right. And so that movie allows me to do so um, from a theatrical perspective. Um, but there are realities in that movie that are a part of the makeup of the African-American experience. And then, I don't know, just um, just the history and, and then the sisterhood. The sisterhood between Nettie and Celie. Um, how neither time nor space could, could separate them. Um, that part, I mean, so the, it's the, all the complexities of the relationships um, are something that kind of drew me. Um, how they taught, how the, the she was teaching the other one and how they she looked out for her sister. And when she, her sister was being harmed, she, you know, how they, just the way they related to one another. Just all the different relationships throughout. It was just really, just a beautiful movie. It was just one of those movies, one of the first movies that I knew every single word to the movie from beginning to end. Oh, wow. um, I know was the play is good? Oh, absolutely. The yes. And yeah, then we saw it on Broadway. Broadway. Yes. Yes. It is absolutely amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen it on Broadway, then I've seen it here. A friend of mine um, produced it here at the theater in Sanford. Amazing, amazing production. So, yeah, I think The Color Purple for me is one of my favorites. Nice. Okay, you got mm-hmm. oh, We didn't talk about our books. We talked about movies, but it's okay. Right, right. It's okay. She talked about one, too. She just no. picked, I picked 10. Oh, you picked yeah. 10. Yeah. Well, I guess since we went with our ages, I am 36. So let's go with 36. 
When have you felt your biggest adrenaline rush? Ooh, I already know. Mm-hmm. I already know. Well, what? Give me birth? Oh. Ooh. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, go go. what you were about no, to say. What you were going to say. Well, you I don't know if that was adrenaline. <laughs> I don't know if that was adrenaline. <laughs> but I was going to say, when we went white water rafting Ooh, for the first time. Yes. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, and it makes, it like opened up a whole other level of adventure that yes. I didn't realize that I had, that I was and that I had. Yeah. Because, um, like I've been the indoor skydiving, so eventually I would love to go skydiving. But that, the indoor is nowhere near the adrenaline rush you would have for actually going skydiving. Right. But when we went white water rafting for the first time i was like oh okay that was really fun i loved it you haven't been still no i said said okay yeah you we gotta go again yes i I think i would say that was for me an adrenaline rush because it's a nervous nervousness because you're in a lot of water and And i don't know i don't know how to swim um but i'm like oh okay you all want to do this so yes i'll go and we've been back since then, and I'm glad we had the experience that we had the first time. Because had we had the experience we had the second time, I, I wouldn't probably have, wouldn't have I gone wouldn't have again. Wanted to do it again. Um, but because the experience the first time was almost like smooth and mm-hmm. like really great, mm-hmm. so we went back again. Mm-hmm. I had an awesome time. I will continue to go back because it's yeah. just a rush, even when you go. You just have to follow the instructions, <laughs> guys. Just follow the instructions and, hey, hope for the best. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, we I have time say, for one more question. Yeah, my biggest adrenaline rush was when I think I had to speak. Um, because, like, speak in front of, like, a large crowd. Yeah. Um, I do, as Ooh, we have I already had, like, a takeover spirit. But when I... Had to get up there. I was like so nervous. I was sweating. My thighs were sweating. My arm. I was sweating. I was just like, oh my gosh. But when I got on the stage, I was like, oh, like I was like, I want to do this again. Like I didn't realize that was something that I even desired or something right, that right, I liked. Right. It was something I don't mind. I can't set up nothing. I was like, I'm okay with being a background person. And I just said that. And I was like, no, really. But um, um, it was just like amazing. Like I was like, I I want to do this all the time. Like I want to speak in front of people all the time. Um, so that was probably like my biggest adrenaline rush, like the preparation, all of it. And so, yeah, I think mine for sure was the event in California. What is it? At, um, at, at, at rhetoric. That was a lot of energy in the room, but it was like 3,300 people sold yes. out um, auditorium. Fantastic. And, um, I was doing a piece, uh, a testimonial piece. Uh, called the Scarlet Letter, and to a sold out crowd, and I had people back home that were watching, um, and I think that was probably the energy was just on a thousand because the 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 crowd came to hear us perform, and I'm on the stage with people who are on tours right now. Like um, it was crazy amazing, and so you you step out there. I'm nervous. It's a five minute piece. I had to have it memorized the entire five minutes so you literally on edge because you don't want to mess up mm-hmm. you don't want to forget something it's being right. re- being recorded people are watching live so if you mess up the world is seeing this and literally people across other countries are watching it so that was probably one of the biggest adrenaline rushes so much so that when i finished the crowd the entire it was a standing ovation 
And I walked off the stage and literally just walked out the door and just kind of burst into tears. Because it was just so much built up energy that I just kind of had to go. It was amazing, though. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, it was great. I was there. I think I shared it. I was like sitting in the audience, like, yes, that's my sister. Okay. Um, Okay. Oh, what number? 55. 55. You guys realize it just hit me. The bus is going to be 70 in March. 70? Yeah. Yeah, she was 69. Is she? Wow. Right. Yeah, wow, wow. What's your biggest pet peeve? is when people are eating and they chew really really loud and like smack yeah and, and it's like do you not hear yourself close your mouth like that <laughs> it, it almost like makes your skin crawl like that's how bad it is yes that's that's my biggest thing really yeah what's yours controlling people no you controlling people or people no, that are controlling people that are controlling like, mm-hmm. that like... But you're controlling. No, I just help guide you to a better way. You're controlling. <laughs> no! Um, I'm trying to think of what I mean by, like, controlling. Yeah, she... I think my biggest one is, like, lazy people. When I say lazy people, like, you can see there's a task that needs to be done. But if I didn't come and ask you, I can see that there's this task that needs to be done, but you didn't ask me to help, so I'm just going to not help. <coughs> I need you to get up and come and ask, how can I help? Or what what needs to be done? Instead of just watching something, or I'll disappear because I don't want you to ask me to help. Yeah, that's, that's funny because one of my coworkers, she was like, I don't mind helping, but she was like, but I'm very much a stay in my lane person. So if you ask me, I'll do it. She said, but if you don't ask me, she was like, I'm going to get ghost. And I'm like, oh, okay. She was like, but when you ask her, she'll do it all hands on deck. And I was like, that's But that should mean that, all, to me, all hands on deck at but you, all, but all you, the time. And and, and <laughs> I, should, I should, when I know there's some big event coming up, but that's, I should. That's, and that's your see, this is where the problem is coming in. Yeah. What your standard is, you can't make that someone else's standard. Mm-mm. That is your standard. And you're, you're being offended with people because they're not step, stepping up to your standard. But that is your standard for you, not their standard for them. And some people, you were, like for me, I was doing something and I was like, I was like, oh, this is not my situation. I got to fall back. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, let me know how you need me to help. Because I get that take off spirit in a minute. You need to do this and do that. And Let's that's, go ahead and, and get this done. And you're not supposed to and do you're that. Not, and so, it was, so I had to, you know, fall back. So I would have to agree with Liz that. Like, that is your standard, so you can't necessarily look at them. So, if you want someone to do it, you have to ask. ask. You, have I to still, you said what my pet peeve was. I told you what my pet peeve was. So, <laughs> what I, so, so, what I, so, what I appreciate is I have people now who've figured out how I operate. So, what they'll do is they'll come to me with a, a plan of, I see this A, B, C, and D needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Is this okay with you that I do it this way? Yes. In the middle of your pet peeve, I'm still suggesting that you examine examine the fact that that's an area of growth that might be needed. Where if you want something done or if you see something that you would like to be done, that you ask for it to be done. Don't assume that someone, oh, they should just do it because that's what you would do. But that's not what they would do. Didn't we talk about that? What was that? Uh, Uncommunicated? Uncommunicated expectations. No, no, no. But if I tell you, I'm going back to it. If I say, no, no, no. It's my pet peeve. If I tell you we have this big, huge event 
going on and you know that it's happening, then you should assume that you have a role. Well, an assumption. You assumption said, you make asses assume. out of all of us. Yeah. So you can't, you can't assume. Because it's, what if they do something that you didn't want them to do? Exactly. What if they do that and they mess it up? All you have to do is come and say, I'm here to help. Or you could just say, I want but you to do this, this, and this. I'm delegate. I'm a delegate. I mean, I do, but tasks. I was my pet peeve lazy. Okay. I got you. I got you. Anybody else? I, I don't, I, uh, pet peeves. Um, I have a lot of little things like road rage, like people who are like impatient in traffic. And, like overly. Know, oh, one of my biggest ones, like literally I'm at the, I'm the first at the green light, at the, at the light and it's red. And you? like, as soon as it says green, <laughs> you're blowing the horn. Oh, yeah, that That's a pet peeve of mine. So what I would do, because there's a little bit of a rebel inside. Um, if you do that to me, you I will put my car in park and stop it. And, and so what I'm going to do is, right when the light turns yellow, I'll go and make you be stuck at the light. Don't do, it is very horrible. But what I want you to do is be patient. It's terrible. It is terrible. But the light literally three seconds and you're blowing your horn. I haven't even let my foot off the brake yet. Okay, I got something for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should work on that, okay? No. Just keep driving. No. Yes. I, if you can give advice to Jen, we give you some exactly. advice. Yes, right. I need you to go ahead. Right. Because you I would be in the car like three cars back, like seriously. You gotta right. go. You're like, I ain't even do nothing on three cars back. Right. Like, Did your car cut off? Like, what happened? Sorry, I said, man. But y'all gonna wait. Yeah, I don't, because I was really trying to think of like, like what my pet peeve is. And I don't know why it just keeps coming up about people that are controlling, but I'm trying to figure out a scenario for controlling we'll have to come back to that because i don't really like none of these things bother me like when someone haunts me and i'm like oh well like i'm going oh no that, know. A, that annoys me too. yeah none of it and it depends on the like if it's if i'm legitimately like holding not it up attention. not paying attention that's yeah. one thing i can appreciate that but literally when it's like two seconds there's some people that are in such a hurry all the time yeah, yeah. don't Hi, do that man, just chill yeah, yeah just chill out but yeah so next question number 70 who is your favorite teacher and why Hmm. My favorite teacher was Miss Anderson from Robinswood Middle School. Um, so mad she I didn't is, get to have her as a teacher. Yeah, she passed away. Um, but in a time when I was living with my dad, I wasn't living with my mom anymore um, or my grandparents. I was in sixth grade, and this lady they used to pick on her and call her Big Bird, but she was everything to me. Like. So I'm living with my dad who had no idea how to do my ponytails, who had no idea how to do anything, and I don't know how to do my own hair, and I had a lot of it. Um, I don't know what made her take to me, um, but she was like, oh, and she was a home ec teacher. Mm-hmm. She taught me how to sew. Um, I can literally sew on a button. I can't hem nothing for you, but, um, but she was my favorite because um, she was just so, she didn't play with me. But she told me when I was wrong, but she was so nurturing and gentle. She was almost kind of like the mom I didn't have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would like every day, and I still don't lotion, but she was like, Amanda, come lotion your elbows. Or, you know, like <laughs> she did all the time, but she would have me like grade papers and do all those things like in the morning. And this was before the school had like free lunch or something. She would have breakfast. Like it was just really nice. Like at, divine and, intervention. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really, and that's funny that you say divine intervention because. We always talk about like how people were placed in our lives and we don't yes. know why. Mm-hmm. I felt like for that sixth grade year, like she just was like everything. Mm-hmm. So it made like, like out of all the kids in the cafeteria, like why did you like choose me? I mean, mm-hmm. I know I was her student. And then Miss Loretta Jones, 
Roberta Jones was the opposite of Miss um, Anderson, but Roberta Jones was equally, she still cared. Mm -hmm. Like, she cared in a different way, mm -hmm. and I didn't see it until I became an adult and worked at Robinswood, that how much she cared for the kids. Mm -hmm. But um, I would just say, because she was caring, she was nurturing, she was, she corrected me when I was wrong. Miss Anderson was really sweet. I think for me, um, was my ninth grade math teacher, Mr. Clarence Brown. Because um, this was coming out of when we had just, we were at one school, moved to Jones, and came back to the same school that we were at. And the day that we came back to school, um, I was in Algebra 1. He was my Algebra 1 teacher. And I got to the class, and they were taking a test. And he told me to go ahead and take the test anyway. And I ended up getting over 100% on that test. And that uh, was kind of pivotal. And that was one of the first times that... Um, he began to tell me how smart I was when it pertained to the math, to math concepts. And so he nurtured that part of it, yeah. that part of me who needed school as an outlet, who needed to pour myself into education so that it would dull the, my senses for everything else that was going on around. And he did that. But he was a safe space. He it wasn't someone that I spent a bunch of time around, but his class, I felt... Uh, nurtured but I also felt pushed mm -hmm. and um that was one of the first times that I began to see myself as gifted when it came to math and that was pivotal because that was coming out of that that was in ninth grade transitioning you know another transition and really just figuring out who I what was going on with me and where I wanted to be what I fit in where I fit in at and I found academics to be a safe space for me but it was because of that um because of his response to what was happening in the classroom. so There are a couple that I could talk about, but one I'll talk about was Mr. Smart, my sixth grade mm -hmm. um, elementary school teacher. And he the one sold donuts? Was that yeah, Mr. Ford? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but the thing about his class that was so good, he made you feel like this was a safe place. Um, he was like a, a father figure. Um, but he didn't let us get away with anything. You know, he held us to a certain standard. I'm not going to allow you to make excuses. I'm not going to allow you to make excuses for where you come from, what you don't have, or what, no, this is what you're responsible for. This is the work that must be completed. Um, this is what you need to learn from this situation. And, um, and I, I think that was important at that time because we were, we had moved from, Orlando out to Oakland and so it was a different kind of time where a different transition that we were going through and where you really don't know I don't know all of these kids in the classroom but it still felt like a safe place at an early age I can go back I had another one in fifth grade Mr. Coziera Mr. K is what we Mr. called K. him you remember him yes he was one of the first he was a white man but the school that we went to, it was mixed, but it was still predominantly black. What was mm -hmm. school? Tildenville Elementary. And he believed in us. He didn't just see us as some little black kids, some project that he was kind mm -hmm. of giving his time to. He introduced us to five-paragraph essays in fifth grade, and back then that wasn't the standard. Right. Mm -hmm. um, he introduced us to, like, musicals. He, he would have us doing, like, in the, in the uh, plays, and he would introduce us to different kinds of music and... And he was just very eclectic and cultural and, and culturally sensitive. And he was just a really genuinely nice guy. When we didn't grow up around a lot of people that looked like him, that treated us the way he did. So I have to remember Mr. Coziera also. Mm. I have so many, but um, 
One would be Jennifer Grove. Um, <laughs> she was one of my favorites in sixth grade. Language arts, loved her. And Dr. Jones. Um, yes. Both of them, like, really played a part when I was in middle school. And even though Jen, Jen was teaching at my school, <laughs> <laughs> that, it was so funny because the teachers would be like, I'm going to tell your sister. And I'm like, but I'm not doing nothing. Like, <laughs> so why y'all going to tell her? <laughs> why y'all telling on me? But, um... But it was, like, they just really helped me. First of all, language arts is so key for us. Um, mm-hmm. And then science. I love science as well. So both of those teachers really played a part for me in sixth grade, just growing up and all of that. And then, like, I still, after I grew up, I would still go back and see them. And I still see Miss Grove. I was at her birthday party, like, last year. Like, that's how close the teachers became to mm-hmm. me, like, even as an adult. She was stuck up. Miss Grove was at my uh, wedding. What is it called? The bridal shower. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's how close. So yeah. Miss Anderson said, "To whom much is given, much is required." Mm-hmm. And in sixth grade, I was like, "I ain't got nothing." What you mean you giving? Like you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but she did not play. Like she was like, "I'm giving you a lot of responsibility." Like, she taught me responsibility. I was like, "I'm the one about to cry." Like she taught me like I'm trusting you with this, mm-hmm. and you need to take it mm-hmm. like seriously. seriously. Yeah. Everyone doesn't get to come in here, so don't run down the hallway. Don't yes. leave my door open. Like, you know, just all of those, like, little things. And, and I remember one day she yelled at me, and I now, like, I didn't get it then. But now if you have students, and you realize some students you're harder on because you know what they can what produce. Exactly. And so when she I see the me, potential. Exactly. I was like, why are you yelling at me? I remember, like, crying. Like, I was just so sad I didn't get it. And Miss Loretta Jones told me why. And it was one day, Miss um, Anderson wasn't there, and Fred Jones had to take over her class. I was like, oh, Lord. But she, I still came in there in the morning, and she told me, she was telling me, she was like, yesterday, I heard you get yelled at. She was like, and she told me why. She was like, she sees that you're going to be something great. And I was like, I remember that. And I was like, am I, though? Like, what you talking about? I'm stuck in my bra, and my daddy, <laughs> oh, and my mama. Like, that was something that was a, um, really, really special. And it's funny. That that's gonna be our last question today, but I was very um, inspired um, yes. by them, and I think some of the characteristics that Miss Anderson possessed, I think as an educator, I also possessed because it was just just that loving and nurturing. Miss um, Girl always called me the Pied Piper, like you always got kids in your office, like. But it was just really nice. I think what's interesting in in all the little divine interventions that have happened for all of us throughout our lives. Uh, in a way, those people were getting to know us, but what was also happening is they were giving us an opportunity to get to know ourselves. Yes. 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 Amen. Absolutely. To be fully known and fully loved. Yes. Bring yes. that thing together, yeah. boo. Bring it right on around. All right, that. y'all. We hope that you guys, too, can reflect on some of the amazing people in your lives yeah. and make sure that you dig deeper with your family and your friends and appreciate those relationships that you do have. And we'll link this, um, this these questions, these questions yeah. so that you maybe you can sit down and, and do this with your loved ones, some of your friends, and, and let us know how it goes. Yes, this can totally be a family meeting. Like, totally. Like, just do like we did, you know, random numbers, and just start answering those questions, because that gives you an opportunity to, you know, know your family members, your friends a little bit better. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, y'all. Happy hump day. Y'all take care. See bye you bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Sisters Collective. Tune in next week for another family meeting. Be sure to rate, comment, subscribe, and follow us at the Sisters Collective on all social media platforms.